Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, we are going to continue our series uh, in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, if you're visiting with us or you're kind of new to the church and you're wondering, why isn't the pastor doing a Mother's Day sermon? Um, I don't really do those very often. My first year of ministry, I think, uh, of being a senior pastor, I think I, I preached on Proverbs 31 once on Mother's Day. And uh, I live to tell about it, and we'll never do that again. So uh, we just uh, will continue on our series here and uh, lift up the name of Jesus. So we're glad that you're with us and, and uh, as we dig into God's word this morning. Um, I've been a little uh, nostalgic uh, this, this month, and I'm, it's not usually my way of being. Uh, in three weeks, it'll be my 10-year my anniversary. I showed up uh, the first... Uh, Sunday of June in 2009, and uh, as I was kind of reflecting on that, have been reflecting on it, I think the hardest change uh, that uh, we underwent, or I underwent here at the church in the past 10 years, uh, is when the city made that traffic change on 10th Avenue just before Oak and Baseline. Do you guys remember that? About five years ago. Uh, People are still not following that traffic change. Now, if, you, if you've been around here for a long time, when you were in the left-hand lane approaching 10th, you could choose whether you were going to go in one of two lanes, and they changed it, I don't know how many years ago, where the left-hand lane now has to go left into the left-hand lane, and the right-hand lane gets to choose which lane they're going in. But if you're in the right-hand lane today, and I, 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 I'm on that street once or twice a day. It's kind of a little bit like playing chicken. Because you're not sure if the other person is going to obey the law or go according to their long-term habits. And I drive a pretty small car, so it's not a fun game of chicken. Don't even get me started on the stop sign that they put up here on Lincoln. That thing is just crazy. We don't like change. And sometimes, and I know that people aren't intentionally doing this, but it seems to me on 10th Avenue there that they are, they are thinking, I, I can choose to accept the change or I can choose just to live the way I've always lived. And that's really dangerous for other people. And when it comes to our faith in Christ, when it comes to becoming a Christian, and I'm going to use today some words that are out of style, and I will define them, and I'll tell you why I think they're important. When we are converted, when we are born again, it's not just something that we add to our current life. It's something that is meant to be life-changing. And that's what Paul spells out for us in the conversion of the church in Thessalonica. So it's only 10 verses in chapter one, so we'll read the whole thing. We're gonna mostly focus on five through 10. Uh, we'll start in verse two. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly rem uh, remembering you in our prayers, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit 
and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia, Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning, concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. As we look at this change that happened in the life of the, these people in Thessalonica, there's three parts that Paul describes. In verse five, he says, the gospel came to you. And then in verse six, he says, the gospel was received by you. And then in verse eight, he says, the gospel went out from you. So we're going to look at these three aspects. The gospel came, the gospel was received, and the gospel went out. This is a conversion process. First of all, the gospel came to you. There's three elements to mission. Now, I have to say, as your pastor, I get a little bit nervous when I talk about missions because we have missionaries here. And so please understand, I know there's a lot that goes to mission, but there's at least three foundational things that has to be, that has to happen in missions. Three elements. First, God's faithfulness. God directed them, Paul and his group, to go to Macedonia. We looked at this a couple weeks ago in the introduction in Acts chapter 16. Paul was trying to minister in Asia. And he kept having all these closed doors. And then he has a vision of a man. And, it, and we can, it doesn't describe the vision, but he knows it's a man from Macedonia. So it was probably his clothing that tips Paul off to what region he was from, right? You can kind of tell maybe, maybe he had an accent. I don't know. But he says, man, come, come here. And so God directed them to go. And then in verse 4, Paul says, God chose you. That's God's faithfulness. In fact, the Spirit empowered Paul in verse 5. And so we have all this working. If missions is going to work, it first of all is dependent on God's faithfulness. And I say that by, by way of just encouragement. Sometimes when we're involved in sharing the gospel, we, we feel so much pressure and just understand God is working behind the scenes. Second, we have man's faithfulness. Paul was faithful in answering the call that he got. In fact, when Paul sees the vision, Luke records in Acts chapter 16, in verse 10, he says this, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul responded. You say, you know, well, but God worked in such a supernatural way. God doesn't God doesn't work in that way to me. And how do I know for sure that's what God is calling me? I'm just telling you that as a pastor, I, I sit and talk with people who have regrets. Man, I, 
I felt that God wanted me to do this, and I, I knew that God wanted me to do but I didn't do it. Missions is depend, dependent on us responding to what God is leading us to do. Paul was also faithful to model the gospel. Look at verse six. He says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. Now, if you remember the story, Paul gets this vision to go to Macedonia, and he goes. And he goes through a few cities. He comes to Thessalonica. He preaches the word there, and some people are saved, and they begin following Paul. But then there's a group of people, which presumably is kind of the rich Jewish crowd there, don't like the attention that Paul is getting. And so they stir up, in Acts chapter 16, what was called the rabble, to cause this revolt, and it gets so intense that Paul has to leave, and he's on to the next town, he's on to the next mission field, and he says to Timothy, hey, why don't you guys go back and see whatever happened there in Thessalonica? And Timothy goes back, he comes back to Paul, and he says, there's a thriving church there. there there's some, some radical things have happened. And, and now Paul is sharing with the Thessalonians what he has heard about them, that this change happened. And so while Paul was there, which was a short time, he says, look, we modeled for you. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Preaching the gospel, sharing Christ with your friends is not just about them making a decision. In fact, when Jesus says to his disciples, when he says, go make disciples, that's a very key term. He doesn't say, go make converts. He says, go make disciples. In other words, Paul had to teach them and show them how to live as followers of Jesus Christ, and he was faithful to do that. And Paul was also faithful under persecution. You receive this gospel, this word, verse 6, in much affliction. That was very kind of Paul. You guys were going through much affliction. They were going through so much affliction that Paul was driven through out of town. I mean, Paul gave it with much affliction. And so that's faithfulness. Look, when things get hard, and it does when you're talking about missions, when you're talking about sharing Christ with people, there's a spiritual battle going on. And so we need God's faithfulness. We need man's faithfulness. And third, we can't underestimate the power of the gospel. Now, look at verse 9 uh, for a second. I think here Paul is kind of giving us his summary. For they themselves, this is other cities, report concerning this kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God that, and to wait for his son. Here's the... Here's the change that happened. They turned to God from idols. Here's where we're going to look at some words in a minute, like repentance and conversion. That doesn't use those words, but this is what happened. And so what we've kind of chosen as our theme for 1 Thessalonians is that we have 
ordinary people. These were not supernatural people. They were living with much affliction, Paul says. That's the inspired word of God. They did it with great joy. And what happened in those circumstances was a contagious faith. Ordinary people, much affliction, great joy, contagious faith. That was the gospel that came. Here's the gospel, how it was received. And so I want to talk about this word conversion and other 21st century words that are now dirty words. So first, the word conversion. That word is said by people as being derogatory. If you're sharing Christ, they may respond to you, are you trying to convert me? Now, when we look at the definition of convert, just from the dictionary, there's more than one definition. I didn't even go to a, I didn't even go to a theological dictionary, just a regular dictionary here. One definition is change from one religion, political belief, viewpoint, etc., to another. Are you trying to convert me from one religion to another? Are you trying to convert my political views? In, in our culture, that is considered wrong. Everybody's allowed to believe what they believe. Everybody's view is equally as important. All these things that the people teach. There's actually another definition from conversion. Again, this came right from the de- uh, dictionary. Spiritual change from sinfulness to righteousness. When the Bible talks about a change, remember we looked at some words last week. I'm giving you a bunch of theological words in two sermons, but these are, these are good. We talked about the word justification. We said that we stand before God a sinner and God declares us righteous. Now when he does that, when we're declared righteous, what we have is we, the righteousness we didn't have ourselves. Where does that righteousness come from? comes from Christ. Christ's righteousness is given to us. So conversion is the process where sinful people, you and I, are made to be righteous through Jesus Christ. Now, because of that change, this isn't just something we add. We're pretty good people, and now we're going to add Jesus to it. That's not at all what conversion is. It's a total change of direction. Conversion is a work that God does in us, and in in response, there's an action, a change that we make. Now, another phrase that was really popular when I was growing up was born again. People said, well, you're a Christian? Are you a born-again Christian? No, no, I don't know. I hardly know anybody that uses that that term anymore. The term comes from, I believe it's John chapter, uh, uh, John 3, where, where uh, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, right? And, uh, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus, who's pretty good religious leader, is like, that sounds really weird. What are you talking about? Do you want me to enter into my mother's womb to be born again, Jesus? And the funny response is Jesus isn't, you know, kind of laugh and say, yeah, this. he said, you're a teacher of the law and this, you don't understand this? Now, here's the thing. Most of us read it and go, yeah, but I didn't understand it either. 
So what was Jesus saying about being born again? Here's a definition. Regeneration or new birth is an inner recreating of fallen human nature by the gracious sovereign action of the Holy Spirit. We get words in this concept of of like regeneration, recreation, born again, transformation. So here's what scripture teaches. You and I can't do it ourselves. And so I think one of the verses that Jesus wanted Nicodemus to have in mind is from Ezekiel. Go ahead and put that up. Let me just read this. And Ezekiel, God speaking, and I will give you a new heart. It doesn't say I'm going to give you a rebirth or anything. It doesn't use those terms. But look, this was before heart transplants and all that kind of stuff. If you got a new heart, you're a different. The heart was, in, in Hebrew concept, the heart wasn't just that beating thing. Okay? The heart was the sender. It was, it was the decision-making point. Okay? He says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give, you, give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. Notice it's the work that God is doing. There's a, there's a regeneration there. The other word that is, we don't use very often is the idea of repentance. Now, again, the word repentance is not in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So you say, Dave, you're just trying to be theology on us, do all this stuff. Look at, look at verse 9 again. You, okay, For they themselves report concerning us this kind of reception that we had among you and how you turn to God from idols. That's repentance. To turn from. There's there's the concept. Now, one book I was reading recently, I just really like this. Uh, Michael Lawrence over at Village said this, real repentance is a new worship. Because not only, they changed from worshiping idols to worshiping the true God. Now, here's where you and I struggle with this. We say, well, yeah, but they were worshiping idols. How silly. How immature. Paul just kind of moved them into modern thinking. No. There was real worship going on. And they changed their worship. What Lawrence is saying is when, 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 when we really change, we change our worship. Repentance that leads to conversion happens when I am convicted of my sin. Not just that my sin is bad. I think most of us would agree. If I say, you have sinned, is that bad? You would say, yes, that sin is bad. But sin, at the heart of sin, is a rebellion against God. And so repentance happens, not just when I realized that I was bad. We can all argue that but that when I was bad and that I was rebelling against the one true God. That's what sin really is. Repentance that leads to conversion happens when I hate what I formerly loved. Now, 
we struggle with this idea of idols because we say, well, we don't worship idols. Let me give you some different definitions that I came across. I love these definitions. An idol is anything we add to Jesus in order to make life work. Ooh. An idol is anything we add to Jesus in order to make life work. Now, look, we all struggle. And sometimes as Christians, we need to be careful how we word things. Um, I, I'm amazed, and I was talking to the elders about this just the last time we met. I, I'm amazed at how many Christians, um, you know, I'm not, this isn't a, a, an alcohol sermon, but I, I'm surprised how many Christians will say, man, I need a glass of wine tonight. Ooh, wait, you need? That, that worries me. Man, I, I, I need this. I want this. An idol is anything that I put in my life that I feel like I need to add to my worship of Jesus. Here's another definition. An idol is anything or anyone without which you can't be happy or fulfilled. When, when the Thessalonians left their idol worship, please understand, they left their community. Many of them, their jobs were in danger. Their family ties were in question. Their ability to buy in the marketplace. It, it wasn't just like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm going to go across the street to the Baptist church. That's not at all what it was like. Their whole life was turned upside down. Repentance that leads to conversion happens when I'm convinced of my sin, when I hate what I formerly loved, and it happens when I turn to love or obey God. Now, I'm talking to some people here that if I asked you, when were you converted? When were you born again? Some of you can't remember that far back. I mean, I was a little kid, you know. Some of your testimonies is I was, some of you here were in this nursery. And so we need to be, I think more than anything, those of us who grew up in the church need to check that we're not just doing church, but that we're following Jesus. That we're not just adding Jesus to our culture, but that he is radically turning our life upside down. Here's why conversion is necessary. Because I can't do it. Look, if, if the Thessalonians could have done it on themselves, why does Paul have to go there? I can't do it. Now, remember those words in Ezekiel. I will, I will, I will. I, I'm going to change your heart of stone. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to, it's, it's a, I can't do it myself. I will never be enough. I don't need, just need to try a little harder. It's more than just, I need to be a better dad. I need to be a harder worker. I need to quit doing this. It's, it's, I need something radically to happen in my life. And so Christian, let me say this to you. <laughs> and I, 
I hear this more than once. I actually heard it this morning. But when people say, well, it's just the way I am. When people say, look, I can't change. It's just the way I am. I have a new response to that, and so you may not want to come to me in in counseling with that one. Because I'm going to ask you if you're saved. Oh, so you're not saved. No, I am saved. I just just can't change. Because none of us can change. The only way change happens if God does it in us. And you can change if the Holy Spirit is in you. So when you tell me you can't change, I'm assuming the Holy Spirit is not in you. That's not what I said. I'm saying, well, then you can change. Praise be to God, I healed you. (laughs) Five minutes. Next. (laughs) Look, you can't do it on yourself. You can't. The other thing that we need to understand and why conversion is important is because God is perfectly holy and just. So Paul says in his summaries in verse 9 and 10, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. We've talked about that hope that Paul's going to unpack later. So he's kind of, he's priming that again. He said, whom he, God, raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from our quiet, meaningless little life and unhappiness. That's not what it says, is it? He says he delivers us from the wrath. God is holy. And and he's, he's doing something to rescue us. The good news is that God is also a God of grace. In Romans 10, it says, while we were yet sinners... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look, if you think you need to kind of clean yourself up a little bit and kind of work off some of the rough edges and then God will accept you, then you've missed the point of the gospel. The gospel is you can't save yourself, that we're under this wrath of God because he's holy, but Jesus rescued us when we couldn't do anything. While we were dead. Now we we try to make some distinctions here, and maybe it's just for my simple mind, but sometimes we get the words grace and mercy confused. We, we make them mean the same thing. And so we've just kind of said around here, grace is when we get something we don't deserve. And mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. And the re- reality is we deserve God's wrath, but because of his grace, we don't, we don't get, he gives us something else, something better. So the reason why conversion is important is God does in me what I cannot do myself. Regeneration, the power of the Holy Spirit. We had a great example of this in our scripture reading, and, and I just, I love this story. Um, and sometimes we're meeting in our discipleship groups. Sometimes we, you know, just guys are a little bit different. Sometimes we'll talk about, if we were to make this a movie, we would kind of do it this way, you know, and it just kind of helps us kind of understand. And so we were talking about this, uh, I was talking about this part in our reading this week where Israel gets right up to the promised land, the spies go out, they come back, and they're like, oh, there's giants in the land, it's, where there's no way we can do it, and oh, the people are all kind of up in arms, and all but two of the spies say, we, we can't do this, and so they choose not to go into the promised land. And God brings judgment upon them. 
And right after God brings judgment, there's these guys in camp who say, oh, no, no, we'll go. We'll go. We're ready to fight. And they, they take up arms and they go to fight. And Moses is there. Don't do this. The ark is not with you. God has not sent you. And they go, no, no, we're going to trust God now. And what happens? They get, they get wiped out. When we try to do things on our own, it doesn't work out well. When we do things in God's power, there's incredible results. And so the story goes on, and there's a whole bunch of, whole bunch of things going on. But as if you've been reading this week, it's like one day to the next, it's like, is Israel listening to God or not listening to God? And you, and you just go, and you have to remember, guys, there's, there's much time between these stories, okay? We're reading one right after another. One day they're like, we want to go back to Egypt. And then the next day they're like, let's go fight for God. And so there's these things going on, but when God is working in us, incredible things happen. So we can't do it on our own. God is perfectly holy. The good news is that God is a God of grace. God does in me what I can't do myself, and God does for me what I could never do for myself. He makes us new people. And so if you go back to the Ezekiel passage, we emphasize this idea of the things that God says he will do in our heart. Next slide. And then he says, at, towards the end of those, it's highlighted, and you shall be my people. Look, you and I can't do that. God does that for us. And I will be your God. And I will deliver you from your uncleanliness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to bless you. And so this process of change is amazing. Now, last week we looked at Paul's introductory words in verse 3, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness in hope. Conversion is seen in Paul's thankfulness. Conversion results in outward evidence of change. Paul doesn't just say you changed. He says you changed and people notice it. Conversion results in an active response to faith. They responded to the gospel. Conversion results in continued growth. Look at verse 6. And you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers. And not only that, in verse 8, it's gone out. He says, look, it just keeps growing and growing. When you look at verse 6, 7, and 8, this thing is just going out. Conversion results in outward evidence of a changed life. So the one thing that I've said way too many times around here, and it's my catchphrase, if God has really changed your life, please notify your face. The point is, your love for Jesus should be evident in your life. And if it's not, then let's go back and make sure that we've really been changed by God. So the gospel um, was, how did I word it? The gospel came to you 
The gospel was received by you. And then third, the gospel has gone out. What made this church's testimony so contagious? Here's where we struggle. We say, well, that was Bible times. Isn't it amazing to me that Paul is, and and that's why in the the first sermon, I showed you the whole region where Paul is and how far the gospel has traveled in these first 20, 30 years after Christ's death. Paul is, is way, I mean, for a person in this time and no planes, you know, no trains, no automobiles. I mean, he's walking, okay? And he is, he is so far away from home. The gospel has tra- traveled out there. He didn't have internet. He didn't have, you know, call ahead seating. None of, none of those things that we're used to having. And yet the gospel, why is this happening? And one of the reasons that Paul is pointing out is the reason the gospel became so contagious is because they were radically different people. Now, Paul doesn't spell all this out. He's going to as we go into the next few chapters of how the Christians are different in Thessalonica. But in Acts chapter 17, where after Paul is is being brought up before uh, the people because uh, the, the rabble has caused this problem, one of the person reports this. In chapter 17, verse 6, it says, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Man, that that would be said of us. That church who is, who's turning the world upside down. Those followers of Jesus that are turning the world upside down. That's amazing. And for them to catch that, we... We've been talking around here that if you look at the whole of Scripture, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, everything is the way it should be. In the last two chapters of Revelation, everything is the way it should be. But the whole midst, the majority of the Bible, everything's upside down. This sin is entered in. And so for them to say they turn the world upside down, what they're actually trying to say but don't know it is they're turning the world right side up. They're living like God intended us to live, and we don't like it. I wonder if your neighbors say that about you. They are living like God wants them to live, and I don't like it. Second, they endured much affliction with joy. This one um, is, is hard for me. I'm just being honest. Enduring affliction with joy. Uh, I have three more days left with my cast. Not that I'm counting. It is not much affliction. It is the wonders of modern medicine that my wrist is healing. Uh, it just makes everything more difficult. I mean, I'm, you know, it's just hard. And I'm t- I keep telling my wife, it's really cramping my style. Um, and look, and I, I get irritated. And it's, it's not that much. Some of us, our, our ability to handle any kind of affliction in our culture has gotten extremely small. And, and I know that because some of you are like going, if we don't get to the restaurant pretty soon, we're going to have to wait for like 30 minutes. Well, I'm going to make it 45. No, I just... <laughs> 
we don't, we don't endure affliction well. So they became also imitators of godly examples. So Paul says, look, you, you uh, became imitators of us and of the Lord. This is talking about discipleship. And we've defined discipleship here from Jesus' words when he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So it's a good place to review. Follow me. There's a head decision, a new worship. Follow Jesus, but other people help us get there. And Jesus says, I will make. When he says, I will make you, he's talking about a heart. He's talking about a heart change. If we are going to be followers of Jesus, we are going to have to learn to love other things. And he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He was talking to fishers of fish. And this talks about our hands. It's a new purpose. We live differently. We act differently because of this change. This is the discipleship process. So we ask, who is it that you are learning from, imitating? And who is it that you are helping them to follow Jesus? What made them testimony? They were different. Uh, They endured affliction. They became imitators. And fourth, they became examples to others. If you don't complete the process... If, if you learn from somebody, but don't pass it on to somebody else, then you're just receiving. Now, one of the bigger themes, and it's mentioned here, and so I'll just introduce it, I'll leave it here, we'll pick it up later, is that they were waiting for Jesus' return. And I think of the modern culture that we live in, and we have so many things, and we live at such a comfort level, we live at relatively high peace here in the United States, that Jesus is kind of just like a bonus. The Jesus, the coming of Jesus, we get this and that. And I just want to say that the church has historically just been waiting for Jesus' return. Come, Lord, come. And so what's the application? Look, if the gospel has come to you, if you've received it, Be thankful for the faithfulness of God. Be thankful for the faithfulness of the ones who brought it to you. Be thankful for the power of the gospel. You know, this might be a a time, uh, I'm just being real honest, if if you can think of that person who, who really impacted your life, maybe this week, if they're still living, you just write them a little note. Um, if, If somebody's been faithful to you, thank them for that. Um, praise God. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, don't forget to thank God for the work that he did to bring you here. That's why we worship. It's, it's not to wake you up before the sermon. Be thankful for the power of the gospel. But I think my bigger question to you this morning, has you, have you rightly responded to it? I mean, is, is, is Jesus just something you're adding to your resume? Or is it something that is radically changing everything about you? I think the harder question for us, and we all wrestle with it, are you faithful in sharing it with others? If you've received it, if God's given it to you, are you faithful in sharing it with other people? Now, look, I'm not asking you to go knock on your neighbor's door and say, I'm here to convert you. I promise you that won't go well. Um, but you might ask them for dinner. That's okay. You might share how God has changed you. 
Who are you praying for? What are you doing? And we, um, elders, many years ago wrote this, read this, wrote, we wrote a book. We forgot to, we read a book, (laughs) which is actually for some of the men even more of a miracle. We read a book and it talked about sharing the gospel was just, can we just turn it up a notch? Look, can we just, can we just, Put our gospel, can we just turn, you know, just turn it up when some of you, when your wife turns up the thermostat like two degrees, like you know it. I mean, if, if our church could just turn up the evangelism just one or two degrees, I mean, it might not be turning the world upside down, but it might be radically different. So how can we do that in our life? Um, maybe a kind of a deeper topic for Mother's Day, and I well, I don't apologize, but maybe it was. Um, but it's a really important one. In fact, I had a senior moment this week, I'll confess. I was doing this sermon prep, and I said, oh yeah, I read a book about this. I should go grab that book and kind of refresh myself. And I grabbed the book, and I started reading it. And I went, oh yeah, this is why in November I chose to do the series on 1 Thessalonians. Because I wanted to talk about this topic. Because I think that too often we're taking the idea of conversion to Christ, being born again, repentance too lightly. And we need to make sure that we are radically changing, not just adding God to our resume. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning. We do again thank you for our mothers and we thank you for uh, the good things that you are doing in us. We thank you for the good things that you are doing through us and for us. And uh, we thank you for those who brought us the gospel. We thank you for the power of the gospel and we thank you for God in our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.